This is More Than Therapy Podcast More Than Therapy This is More Than Therapy More Than Therapy Podcast This is More Than Therapy More Than Therapy Podcast This is More Than Therapy Podcast And welcome to another episode of More Than Therapy. Today's guest, L.A., and what L.A. is going to do for us is center us with some soul therapy before we begin. L.A. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, So I, uh, whenever I have my crystal singing bowls with me, I mean, whenever I enter a space, I really like to um, just kind of center us and ground us and really uh, bless the space. So I'm going to take some time to do that right now. Um, and I just ask that if you, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with, um, honor the needs of your body and just, you know, get comfortable, whatever getting comfortable looks like for you.
thank you for, for being here and uh, being in virtual space with me and joining me as I as I kind of uh, helped us to get grounded and, and centered um, before we jump in. So thank you all for being here. And thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ooh, that, that was so relaxing. I'm, uh, I'm going to need you to send me an MP3 of that or something so I can... Um, Calibrate. I'm having a terrible bout of insomnia, and I think that'd be very helpful in regarding that centering my soul and mind body, and have a better sleep pattern. As I'm currently at Duke, getting treated for it, but it doesn't seem like it's really doing anything. And a holistic approach might be more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, LA, LA. I ask this of a lot of a lot of guests. What brought you to this space? What brought you to the therapeutic space to help people in a therapeutic way? What led you to this journey? So that is, that's a great question. And uh, I'm kind of thinking about where do I, where do I want to start? Do I want to go all the way back? <laughs> um, and, and I think, I think that I should. Um, so I, when I was growing up, when I was a little girl, um, I, I wanted to be an attorney. And um, that was my dream. I wanted to to go to law school and be a lawyer, be the first lawyer in my family. Um, and that 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 journey didn't work out for me. Um, and I didn't realize that and didn't find that out until I want to say it was my my senior year of college. And at that point, I was kind of. Uh, kind of in panic mode because I had, I had never, I didn't have a plan B. I had never considered anything outside of being an attorney, which was a life lesson for me. You know, always, always have a plan B and always have different options that you can explore. Um, But I graduated um, from college and actually had a job at a law firm, working at a law firm uh, back home, a corporate law firm back home. And so that got me some experience in the field and I was there for a few months. It was just a summer job. And then I was working um, as a, a bilingual administrative clerk. I'm bilingual in Spanish. And so I was working at a bilingual um, or for the school district as a bilingual administrative clerk, which was my first, I guess you could say, real job <laughs> out, out, out of college. And um, I had been there for a few months. And in December of 2009, when I was still working there, my 21-year-old cousin was actually killed in a car accident. Uh, she was killed by a driver who was fleeing police um, in our hometown of, of Milwaukee. And a week after she was killed, I was terminated from my job. And, you know, talk about um, just grief and loss and um confusion and pain I was in that was that was probably hands down the lowest moment in my life because I had just lost my cousin who was really you know you know in a lot of black families especially with first cousins that was like my sister and um and so to lose my job after that um was very it was very devastating for me because I was in a at a point in my life where I was trying to figure out, you know, well, what do I want to do with my life and where is my life headed? And then boom, you know, here comes this other thing that kind of knocks me down when I'm trying to get my balance. Hadn't even gotten my balance yet. Hadn't really planted my, my two feet on the ground. Looking back though, it was a, 
blessing in disguise because I was I was in no position at all to be working at anybody's job. Um, I was not. My cousin was very close to me, and um, you know, I, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I was suicidal. You know, I was just. It was a really tough time for me, and so being off work and kind of not having to go into a job really gave me the opportunity to take care of myself and kind of gather myself and to really think about, you know, well, what, where, what are you about to do? Where's your life headed? And what do you, what do you want to do next? So I was, um, my cousin actually at the time was a few months away from graduating with her degree in social work. And I was planning I was still living in Madison at the time. Uh, we were both in, in Madison in, in school and the School of Social Work um, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison was helping plan a memorial for her. And I remember sitting, they, they kind of pulled me in. They wanted my, my help with that. And I remember sitting with one of the faculty and they were like, oh, well, you know, you've graduated, you're not working, like, you know, what are you about to do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, so they were like, well, why? you know, why don't you get your master's in social work? And so I was like, huh, you know, I, I had literally never considered it. Like I said, my, my, I had tunnel vision in going to law school and I, you know, from there I started to kind of consider it. And I did some, I did an inventory, so to speak of, you know, my experiences and what I was interested in, what I was passionate about. And for me, with going to law school, I knew that I want, I was interested in family law. That's where my passion was. And so the more I kind of looked over my experiences and my interests, you know, even the volunteer work that I had done, I was like, oh, this actually is like very, this is connected. These two things kind of go together. So from there, I apply, you know, I, I stay connected to the uh, faculty at UW, which they have always been very supportive of me and, you know, of my family. And, you know, still to this day, um, they have really done a lot to help keep my cousin's memory alive and, ha- you know, have been very supportive of me. And so from there, I decided to apply to a few MSW programs and I was accepted. I was accepted at um, a few programs and decided to just stay in Madison um, and and uh, go, and go to school there. And so that's kind of what started the journey for me. Um, so what I guess what I would say is when I think about my even where I am now, a part of my why for the work that I do is is that this is you know this is the work that I that my cousin would be doing if she was still here because she was also going to go on to um, pursue her, her MSW. Take your time, take your time. And your story mirrors mine in a, in a way, so I can totally understand your perspective. And even 25, 26 years after my brother's death, the pain is still there. So I can totally relate to how you feel and what you're going through. Yeah. And I, I did not expect to cry, <laughs> to cry here. And it's it, but it's okay. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm human and I'm going to grab a Kleenex. I'm human. And I, one of the things that I, one of the things that I live in my personal life and that I share with clients is that 
you know, allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you need to feel. Sometimes when things come up, you know, you push it, you push it down. You know, you make yourself feel bad. I've even I've even had to kind of, you know, uh, not so much check clients, but to kind of like make, you know, they'll they'll start crying and they'll say, I'm sorry. And it's like, why are you why are you apologizing for for being human, you know, for feeling emotion? But I also know even with my personal experience that there there are things that have happened that where people have been shamed for crying or for being sensitive or being emotional or feeling anything outside of joy, you know, or the more, those more positive emotions. Um, but I got emotional because I am remembering and hadn't, hadn't kind of gone down this path in a little while, but I'm remembering that my cousin, um, I actually have her, the essay that she was using to apply to, to MSW programs. And so I'm remembering that she was literally in, she had already begun this process at the time of her death. And so I, you know, I really do believe that I am doing the work that she would have been doing if she was still here. And that as a result of where I am, that this is a, this is an extension of her legacy. I'm helping to keep her legacy alive. And I, I truly believe that my life experiences and just who I am as a person, my essence, I, I, was, I was put on this earth. This was a part of my life purpose, the work that I'm doing. And I'm reminded of that when I'm with clients and, you know, they'll share things with me and they're like, oh, I've, I've never told anyone this before. You know, as, as you may have experienced as well, it's like I've never told anyone this before or I've never felt this safe. And, and it dawns on me in those moments, like your life has so much purpose and you like you were created to do this work. This is what you were supposed to be doing with, you know, with your life. And, and this is how you work. This is how you were intended to use your influence. Um, and so so that's uh, I know that was like a that was pretty long. <laughs> that was long. Uh, but that, that's what I would say, you know, that's kind of what led me here. And, um, as far I want to make a connection back to, to law. So I'm still very, very interested in the law. And so whenever I'm able to kind of find opportunities at the intersection of social work and, you know, and the law or the legal field, I get really excited because I'm like, oh, these are two things that I enjoy learning about and kind of just being involved in. And so that's where like one of the services that I offer with my practice is forensic social work, um, you know, and being serving as an expert um, witness and expert consultant for um, forensic social work. Um, and so that's why I'm really uh, passionate about that and really enjoy that because it's like, oh, I can, I don't have to, you know, I had this dream growing up, but I don't have to throw that away. I don't have to you know, abandon that. It's like, I can kind of find ways to, to marry the, these two things. And I'm really passionate about and really love, um, you know, and my, my brother, my oldest brother. So I'm the oldest of, of my mom's seven children, but my oldest brother is actually an attorney now. And so I kind of get to, like, I, I find a lot of joy in that too. And he tells me, you know, all the time that that's a part of the reason why he wanted to be an attorney because I, that's because I wanted to do it first. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll live vicariously through you. <laughs> and so I still kind of, you know, I still get a lot of fulfillment even from that. Um, so that is like my, my very long answer <laughs> to your question.
Uh, more, more than appropriate answer. Never a long answer. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing, sharing that perspective. And that's quite the journey that brought you into this therapeutic space. And like you said, you were meant to be here from all the work that I've seen you've done and heard about from the things I continue to see on a daily basis. When I do check in on you, wink, wink. <laughs> um, yeah, you're here for the right reason. Some people aren't in the right space at the right time. Some people get into this by, uh, for some say, an easy way out. They didn't want to take a certain course load or have to do certain courses. So they thought this would be an easy way to make a career. But you'll find that many times these people burn out or don't stay for the long end as making it a worthwhile career. I say that to say this, how do you avoid burnout? What are your keys to wellness? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think there, there are several that, that I can offer. Um, I want to go back to something that you said though, about people wanting to take the easy, the easy way out. <laughs> um, and I kind of smirked at that a little bit. Cause I'm like, you know, and, and you might not know it until you get into the field, but it's like, yeah, this, this is not the easy way out at all. And, and not just because of the, the way in which we are kind of containers in a way for our clients pain, for their trauma, for their experiences, but also what I found, and, and I didn't realize this until I started doing more clinical work, is that doing this work for me is like looking into a mirror. And, and what I found is that there have been clients that will come to me and they'll be, you know, telling me their stuff, telling me their story. And it'll trigger something in me, whether that it, you know, it might bring up something that I am currently dealing with or even something that, you know, maybe that from my past that I hadn't thought about in a while. And so it really forces you to 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 look at yourself in the mirror and to face your stuff and to deal with yourself. And I I I like I always say, if you are not dealing with your stuff, you know, if you're not in therapy, if you're not doing that self interrogation, that self reflection, that, that mental excavation that I think is necessary in order to, to know yourself first, then you are, you're doing a disservice to yourself as a clinician and also to the clients that you work with. And so I, I think that, so I guess that's, that's my first, the first part of my answer So your question is that for me, the, you know, the, the a wellness practice for me is like, it's very, very important to me to know myself very intimately, because I think that the way in which I know myself or don't know myself, that impacts literally everything around me, all of my interactions that impacts my relationships, that impacts my ability to be supportive and be helpful to clients, um, And so that's really important to me, doing those kind of doing check-ins, you know, with myself. I I literally, I'm walking with myself every moment of the day. You know, there, there might be something that happens. I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm at Target and I'm at the, you know, I'm at the cash register and I'm checking out and the, the, you know, the, um, the cashier might say something. I actually, I'm going to use, I'm going to use a real example. (laughs) 
I'll use a real example. You know, so I'm always, um, I always speak. I always try to be friendly and so, hey, how you doing? You know, it's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be human with you. Like, yeah, I know you at this job and I'm just here checking out, but hey, how, like, how are you? And um, I've gotten annoyed before. You know, if I ask, if I say hello, I've had, you know, I might say hello and they might not say hello back, you know, or I might say, how are you? And, you know, they don't answer. And then I might say again. And, and so then after I walk out of the store, I'll ask myself, what what was it about this interaction with this person that like, why did it upset you? And what does that say about you or about things that you need to work on? What is that? And it's usually it usually leads back to you're taking something personally. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, the things that people do, it's, it's literally it's not about you. It's about the other person. It's about who they are or maybe something that they're experiencing or dealing with that has nothing to do with you. Um, and so I really try to do those check-ins um, with myself, you know, throughout the day and really interrogating myself like, okay, what part of what part of who you are and your experience is informing how you're viewing this situation? Um, and it's, it's really, it's hard work. Um, to, to do that. I mean, and I'm doing that all throughout the day because it's like, what's, what's coming up for me and what do I need to address and kind of work on with myself? Um, to give you some, I guess, some more like uh, specific and concrete and, and um, tangible wellness practices, I'll, I think it could be helpful for you to, for me to walk you through um, kind of, you know, when I, when I get up in the morning, like, what does that look like? And so when I, when I wake up in the morning, I am, I begin every day with gratitude. And when I wake up, I try to focus on things that sometimes, you know, sometimes I've taken for granted. Sometimes we as people take for granted or are very common for us to take for granted. So I might think to myself when I wake up in the morning, I'm really, I'm really grateful for the sunshine, the fact that the sun is shining, the fact that the sun came up today. I'm grateful that I am able-bodied, you know, and, and I can, I can like physically get out of my bed without a struggle. I can walk around, you know, I can ground my, my two feet, um, you know, without any challenges, and so I'll kind of start my day with gratitude, which is really helpful for me because it, it really sets the tone for my day. I have little post-it notes on my, like on my mirror in my bathroom that I, and, and I've memorized, look, you have, you have them too. <laughs> and, and I've, I've memorized them at this point. And I try to, every few months I try to recycle, you know, not recycle them, change them because, you know, our, our, those things can get stale. And it's like, okay, I, I might have needed this these messages a few months ago, but now I need to hear or to say something different to myself. So having some like positive affirmations that that you can say to yourself um, based off of whatever it is that you feel like you need to feel to feed your spirit. Um, I also drink I drink a glass of water first thing in the morning. Uh, I was I was just telling one of my sisters I we were talking about um, hydrating throughout the day every in this habit now and I I want to say I started that last year during the pandemic like literally when I get up in the morning I I pour me a glass of water and I drink the whole glass so I think that's another I think that's another like wellness practice 
Um, but just some others that, that I use consistently and have found to be helpful um, is I, I journal a lot. Um, and that's kind of based off of things that might come up in therapy or just like things that might happen. And I'll say, oh, I need to journal about this and I'll kind of write it down so I don't forget. <clears throat> so I think journaling is really helpful. Um, doing uh, I do gratitude journaling as well. Um, I am, I just celebrated recently 150 consecutive days of gratitude journaling. Um, so that's, that was really, I'm, I'm really proud of myself, um, for that. And there's actually a study that came out that, that said that doing gratitude journaling for 14 consecutive days, um, can be more effective in, uh, treating some mental illnesses than, than like an antidepressant. And so I was like, wow, you know, and I remember um, learning that a while ago and I was just like, wow. And so, you know, doing the, the gratitude journaling every day, um, doing, you know, doing things like, um, you know, bioenergetic grounding, making sure that you're getting outside, getting some sunshine, you know, getting some fresh air, but also planting your, your feet, you know, into the earth. Um, and so I try to, which, which is, uh, <laughs> it's, I think back sometimes to when I was younger and my mom, you know, we, we lived in the hood. I grew up in the hood, you know, but my mom, we, we could never go outside without our shoes on. Like that was like, that was a no, no. <laughs> and so now, you know, when I think about me going outside, you know, without, without my shoes on, without socks on and really planting my, my bare feet into the earth and, and feeling connected to the earth and like kind of getting some, uh, getting a recharge, so to speak. Um, I found that to, to be very healing. Um, and also just, just daily meditation, which I do, you know, with my singing bowl. Sometimes I do it with my singing bowls and sometimes it's just like, it's just me by myself and I'm just kind of sitting. Um, so those are, those are some of the, um, I, I could name like some, <laughs> so many more, but the, those are some that I engage in pretty consistently and that I've gotten like a lot of benefits from. Okay. In your private practice, you seem to have a focus on millennials. Is that because you are a millennial and what kind of problems do millennials usually present with in this day and time? Yeah. So not, so not necessarily, um, not necessarily a primary focus on millennials. I do work with millennials because I, I am a millennial and I think there's a lot of relatability there. And so I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily work primarily with millennials in terms of my, like my target audience. That is, um, I only work with adults and I work with, um, so executives, entrepreneurs, and other professionals. And the, the reason for that is that I, you know, again, going back to the relatability and who I identify with. And if I were to do an inventory of the clients that I've worked with, you know, who do I, who do I really enjoy working with and who, um, who have I grown the most as a clinician and working with? That's kind of the, the population that, that I've identified. Um, so some of the some of the the issues that are very common, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to work with this population because I'm like, oh, I can help you with this. I can help you with that. Is the you know the burnout? We we started talking today a little bit about burnout, 
And so burnout is very common, I think, in, you know, within that population. And, and I'm experienced burnout, if, if I'm being honest. And so really working to overcome burnout. Um, the other thing that I've noticed is that this idea that like what we've been taught about the fact that we, you know, we should put ourselves aside and, you know, work all these hours and make as much money as we can, you know, and, and I always ask, but are you well though? <laughs> like, are you well, you know, or are you just kind of really, really burning yourself out and not, not honoring yourself and not honoring your needs and not taking care of yourself? Um, so I think that's another, like another common issue that's come up. Um, and I think one of, and I don't, I, what I'm about to say, I don't think is specific to millennials or even to the population that I work with. Mm -hmm. Um, but I am really, I, I found that I'm very drawn to people who have a desire for self-improvement and people who want to, to be better, you know, for themselves. Um, I really, I'm really drawn even outside of clients, even people that I know personally, I really vibe with those kind of people because if you have that desire, it's like, okay, I can work with that. We can learn from each other. But I think when you are working with someone who doesn't have any desire to, to be better um, or to improve, it's like, then, then that's where that resistance comes in. So I think with, in terms of the, um, what I was saying about the, um, just like people's relationships with themselves, I really, my, my relationship with myself right now in my life is a priority and is, and is more of a priority than it's ever been. And I think that's beautiful. And I think I've needed that because I've lived my life in a way that I've put people before myself so much. And it's caused resentment. It's caused me and resentment towards myself, resentment towards these people. And it's caused me to, in some ways, have a, a poor self-image of myself. And to it's kind of like a cycle where it's like, well, well, you're not worthy of like getting your needs met. And so then it just kind of continues. Um, and and what I found is that some people are just so, so disconnected from themselves. They're literally just out here, just existing, you know, and and not like don't really know themselves and don't know why they do certain things, don't know their strengths and weaknesses, don't literally have no awareness around any of that. And again, you know, that that impact that literally impacts everything around you. It impacts your relationships. And um and I, I, you know, I, I will be the first to tell you it's, it's like when I, when I've, I've, cause I've been in therapy for a long time, kind of, you know, kind of on and off. And I've said to a few of my therapists, like, like, damn, now, I, now I see why more people aren't doing this shit. Like it is, it's hard. It is very hard when you have to face yourself, you know, cause, cause sometimes we are, um, sometimes we just need somebody to blame. Oh, you know, it was my mom's fault. She didn't do this. Or my dad wasn't there. It's his fault. Or, you know, this person broke up with me. They hurt me. And they're the reason why I'm like this. But when, when all of that falls away and you have to face yourself and look at yourself in the mirror, is it can be so ugly and it can be gut-wrenching and it can be hurtful and it can be painful. But when you get on the other side of it and when you're like, okay, I can do this. And, and every day you get to know yourself a little bit more. Every day you get better. 
It's like it gets easier, but it's it's not it's not um, it's not easy at all. And, and, it, and it's life work. It's not something that it, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Because even for me, it's like I've done, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself, but I don't feel like, oh, I've arrived. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm good. I can like stop. No, this is every single because every day when something happens, it brings something else up. And it's like, OK, now I can kind of build on the work that I've already done, um, you know, on myself. So those are kind of uh, I'm, I'm not that I'm, I'm like that. And I forgot the question. <laughs> But now I remember when we were talking about my practice and the clients that I work with. And um, so, yeah, so that's that's kind of that's where I am with it. That's what's up. Yeah. You made some moves that I consider major. So one or two things are on my bucket list. One, you're into private practice. I'm not quite into private practice yet. I have a nonprofit that's more focused on training and things like that. But the TED Talk. Mm. Mm. That's, on my <laughs> that's like that's like almost the top tier thing on my bucket list that to me that says like you said earlier that's my arrival would be a ted talk i feel like that will open the doors to all these types of conferences where i can get paid buku dollars <laughs> start buying my book a little bit more people start having me come to their offices and agencies to do these major trainings for corporations ted talk your TED Talk was focused on trauma. Mm-hmm. You can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, man, <laughs> that was, uh, so that was, let me see, that was, because my, my sense of time, the pandemic really has really impacted my sense of time. So last year was, uh, was 2021, and I want to say, did I give my TED talk? La- no, I said last year was, we're in 2020. What am I saying? We're in 20. 20- Listen, I, I promise I'm oriented to time. <laughs> I'm oriented to time. I'm not disoriented. Uh, so we're. <laughs> yeah, your TED talk was in 2020. I can't remember. Right. Exactly. It was 2020. It was, it was so, um, I, and I remember it was a leap year. I gave my, t- which I thought was so, I thought it was so dope gave my TEDx talk on the last day of Black History Month. So it was February 29th. It was a it was a leap year. So February 29th of 2020 gave my TEDx talk and literally two almost almost exactly 2 weeks after I gave my TEDx talk everything was shut down. I was working from home. Um you know, it was just it was it was crazy how fast it happened. Um And so my, I think what could be helpful is for me to share a little bit about kind of my journey leading up to giving my TEDx talk and kind of how I prepared for that. So I've known for a while, I actually remember telling my brother and I think some close friends a while ago, like, I'm going to give a TED, I'm going to give a TED talk. Like, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, with this organization, but I am a member of Toastmasters. So um, it's an organization that really helps people to um, it's, it's a community that, you know, that you can become a part of that helps you to improve your public speaking skills. You get um, their different. I guess what they call pathways that you can navigate based off of whatever your goals are. And you sign up for a different certain pathway 
and you give speeches based off of the assignments in that pathway and you're able to receive feedback on on your speeches. And this is, you know, you get feedback on the contents, body language, all of those things, all of the things that are necessary to help you become a better public speaker, if that's what you want to do. And a lot of people are interested in doing that and maybe not even on the scale of like, I want to do a TED talk, but oh, I I have to give a bunch of presentations at work. So I want to get more comfortable with that. Or I, you know, I present at workshops a lot and, you know, I get nervous. Let me try to work through that as a result of being a part of Toastmasters. So I've been a part of Toastmasters, I want to say for maybe three years now. So for, for quite a while, I think that's helped me out a lot in my just in my journey to, to giving that talk. <clears throat> the other thing that I'll say is um, I, I think that I am one of the, and I don't, I don't think I always knew this, but I think I have a way with words. I think I'm a natural storyteller. Like if I, if I'm just like being myself and literally just talking to you as if I'm having a conversation, um, I surprise myself sometimes with like what comes out of my mouth. And it's like, I'm, I literally did not, <laughs> It's like, I literally didn't plan that. I was just like, it was just flowing. I was just sharing like what was coming up for me. And I think that's something that that really worked out in my favor. Um, so that's the piece about, I guess, the the logistics um, and what I did to, you know, to prepare. And I had, so all of that to say that writing my speech itself was not necessarily challenging for me or kind of preparing and practicing. Obviously, I, you know, I'll be as great of a storyteller as I think I am. And, you know, my, I think my presence is like, okay, I don't have to really, it's like, I'm just going to be myself and, and whatever comes out will come out and I'm sure I'll be okay. The family piece, the family piece that, that was, that, that was, um, and I'm, I'm still, you know, still kind of really working through what that means for me as an individual operating within my family system, but also just how that impacted and continues to impact my relationships with certain family members. Um, and so I, that, that was, that's where the difficulty came in. And I think <clears throat> when you and I talked the other day, um, I mentioned that I have not yet had an opportunity to really like speak publicly after, after, um, doing my TEDx talk, haven't had an opportunity to really speak publicly about, you know, what that was like for me and, and what it continues to bring up. And two, I remember uh, one of the, when I kind of did the, you know, the, the blast of like, okay, my, I did this TEDx talk, like go, you know, go watch, let me know what you think. But two uh, two questions that I have that I still <laughs> don't think uh, that I that I really have the answers to it, and and maybe there is no one answer. Um, maybe there are maybe there are several answers, and I always and I, I want to do some type of discussion around this because I think it's important, and I think it's relevant to not just my personal experience, but so many other people. I was. It was, it was both heartwarming and heartbreaking at how many people reached out to me after I gave that talk and said, 
I'm dealing with the same thing in my family or, you know, I dealt with this years ago and I never told anybody and it was just, you know, and so I, and that was confirmation for me. It was like, you followed your intuition and you needed to have this talk. This story needed to be told. And, and I knew when I gave that talk and, and regardless of the, the family uh, tension or conflict that it brought up, I knew that giving that talk was way bigger than me. I knew that it was not about me. It was not about my family. This was like a much bigger, uh, a bigger purpose for me. And so um, the going back to, to the two questions and I'm, uh, you know, and you feel free to, to chime in. But but those two questions, I think for me was like the, the first one is like, like, what do you do when when telling your story requires you to tell parts of someone else's like like how do you how do you navigate that um and then the other the second question is like what what you know again this is a what do you do question but what do you do when what you feel like is required for your healing or is a necessary part of your healing journey is different from from what the other person or other parties involved might need for their healing or, or even um, when, when that's different from um, or when, okay, now I'm, now I'm messing the question up when it's, when it's like, when there is, I guess when there's judgment about what you need for your healing, it's like, Oh, well, why do you, why do you need that? Why do you have to do? And I, and I've been asked that actually, and one of the things that uh, one answer that I was able to come up with is, is that you get to decide, and this is me to myself and me to whoever's listening, you get to decide what you need for your healing and how you're going to heal. And, and other people might not always agree or understand, but it's not their life to live. You know, it's, it's not their healing journey. They, they're not walking with you. And so... Um, it's really important to, to remind yourself of that because sometimes we can hold ourselves back from our healing because we might feel like we need to do one thing for our healing, but out of fear of what other people might think, or out of fear of, you know, the, the, the judgment or the, um, you know, being condemned or whatever you want to call it, then we hold ourselves back. It's like, oh, well, I thought I needed this for my healing, but you saying that I need something else. So maybe let me, you know, maybe let me do what you're, what you think I need to do. And, and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I've, I've, I've lived my life, you know, going back to something I said earlier, I've lived my life for too long for other people. And, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like I, I need to do this for me. Um, this is about my healing. And, and I know, I know myself and I know one thing I, I, I should mention, um, and this is not even so much in my defense, but just in being transparent, there were, there were several conversations that I had and even attempted to have with my family, because one thing that I didn't want to happen, I don't want this thing to come out. And then it's like, boom, <laughs> you know, you find it out on the internet, on on the internet, <laughs> you finding out, you know, on Facebook or whatever, like, oh, damn, you telling the family business? Like, no, listen, I'm giving you a heads up. 
this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it. And I invite you to, to talk with me about this. I want to talk. I want to talk with you. I want to hear from you and not even so much so that you can try to, cause I'm, I'm, I'm not asking your permission. This is what's happening. I'm telling you that this is what's happening, but because I am a thoughtful person and I, I love my family, my family is very important to me. Anybody that knows me knows I'm very family oriented. So it's like, I want to talk through this and we can work out whatever, you know, whatever's coming up for you. Let's talk about it. And there were some family members that that were open to that. And there were some that weren't. And for the ones that weren't, it's like, that's not my responsibility. Like I, I attempted, I tried, you know, but I can't I can't force you to to engage with me on a topic that that you're still that you're still working through or that you maybe haven't even dealt with. And the fact that you haven't dealt with this again, that's not my responsibility. I need to, I, this is what I need to do for my healing. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was, it was very difficult. Um, as, as much as I know that I was, it was a very thoughtful decision that I, that I made. It wasn't something. And I, I even questioned, I'm like, well, maybe I'll talk about something else. You know, my family's having this reaction, whatever, like, oh, maybe I'll talk about something else. But I remember telling my brother, if I can't tell my story in this way, I don't even want to do the talk. And but I but I knew I didn't want to do that. I'm like, I've, this has been a dream of mine. I've been talking about this for years. I'm like, I'm not about to make myself small because of, you know, what y'all think I should be doing as much as I love y'all. It's like, I I have to do this for me and I need whether you understand that or not it's like this this is what's happening um and and that's kind of like you know that's that's how it played out but it was really and I even remember if you if you uh when you watch the talk or whoever's listening like if you watch the talk it still it still brings up stuff for me but just because you have a sensitivity around something does not mean that that you're not healing around that thing or healing from that thing because sometimes people and even myself I refer to healing as like this this point that I need to get to but healing is not a destination healing is literally ongoing especially when we get to talking about trauma and fa- you know family patterns and things like that that's not something that you just like do this one thing and then you good it's like no it's it's an ongoing you have to work um you have to continue to work and put forth a concerted effort to to heal from that thing and work through that thing and you know like i was saying before about when you're out navigating the world you this this thing might be brought back up in ways that you can't even anticipate you know, and so the the healing is is really ongoing. Um, so that that uh, that's doing that TEDx talk. That was one of the uh, that's one of the most courageous things I've ever done in my life. It is also one of my proudest moments, and and I feel good about the fact that like if I die today, like that that is a part of the legacy that I will leave behind. Um, I feel really good. I feel really good about that. Um, you know, and I encourage, you know, whoever, and you too, I'm talking to you. Uh, I encourage, you know, if, if it's something you want to do, 
please do it. We we all, everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has a story that needs to be told or that other people need to hear. And, and for me that, you know, that was the one. And, and I didn't, I didn't know what the, what the, uh, the outcome would be. I didn't know how people would receive it, but then it got to a point where I don't even care about any of that. Like I need to do this for me. And I trusted, I trusted the fact that like, this is, this is bigger than me. This is way bigger than me. And so it was something that I just, I just stuck with it. And, and I knew, I remember telling, uh, telling my best friend and my brother, I said, this is not, this is doing this TEDx talk is not, it's not rooted in fear. This is, this is liberate. This is complete liberation for me. And that's what it felt like, you know, after, um, and I, you know, I've continued to process that, but I mean, that's, that's up for anybody. It's, it's a, a little over a year old now, but it's like, people still reach out, you know, and people still make comments, you know, about, about me doing that. So that's, um, that is there, there's a lot more I could share about like that experience, but that's, that's what I think is, is important for me to share just about, about my TEDx talk and kind of what went into that process for me. Yes. It was quite amazing. Quite amazing. I first met you many moons ago. (laughs) You sold me a candle and it smells so good. Tell us about your entrepreneurship. It seems like it's, it's where I want to be. I want to start making moves where I can have some additional streams of income more so than I do today. What brought you to candles and what other types of entrepreneurship activities do you do in order to have those streams of income to be a well-rounded financial person in this therapeutic space? Yeah. So entrepreneurship is, I think it's always been, I don't even know if I want to say it's always been a part of me, but it has always been a part of my family. So when I was growing up, my, uh, my, my great grandma Hazel, uh, she actually, uh, my late great grandma Hazel, she passed away uh, a few years ago and she, you know, she had so many, she had a lot of different businesses. I remember she had a transportation company. She had a daycare at one point. I remember we had a car wash and there've been other businesses um, in my family and, and still are. And so I think that it was something that I was always kind of exposed to, but didn't, but didn't really understand it you know, didn't really understand, like, what is entrepreneurship? What does it, what does it take? You know, and the, the other thing that I was just telling my, my baby sister, my youngest sister, because <clears throat> she's starting her own business. And I was telling her my story about, you know, when my mom, my, when I was born, my mom was 15, my dad was 14. And so there was no, it wasn't no entrepreneurship. It's like, you're going to college, <laughs> you're going, you get a degree, you know, you need your education. And that's because my, my parents didn't have that. So it was like, we didn't have this, you know, how parents can do this. Like we want the things for you that we didn't have ourselves. And so that's, that was kind of, it was almost like this tunnel vision. And I was telling her now that I am where I am now, 
I I don't regret at all the, the the space that I'm in, and I'm grateful that I am one of those people that I'm I'm actually working in the field that I got my degree in, and so I don't regret that at all. And I wonder what my life had been like if I had been given other opportunities outside of, you know, going to college. And not even not even that I was given those opportunities, but that it was it was would have been acceptable, I should say, for me to start my own business, if if that's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I think for me, it was something that I always that I was always kind of exposed to, but it it didn't really I would say it didn't really happen for me with me kind of really stepping in into you know, entrepreneurial endeavors until after I relocated to North Carolina. So I was, I don't think I've mentioned this yet, um, but I was born and raised in, uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I moved to North Carolina in 2015. And I moved here, not, you know, not really knowing anybody in the area and had never really lived outside of my comfort zone outside of the state of Wisconsin for an extended period of time. And so when I moved here, I had I had a pretty rough transition. It, it was pretty rough. Um, and it was almost because I remember when I first moved here, I was, ta- you know, back home, I was talking to people, you know, well, not FaceTime because I didn't have my iPhone yet, but I was doing video chats and just like kind of staying in touch with people to the point that I even remember thinking back sometimes like, oh, it, it doesn't even, it hasn't even hit, it feels still feels surreal. Like it hasn't even hit me yet that I'm not in Wisconsin anymore. And I don't, I moved here October of 2015. And I remember January, it like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, oh shit, I am a thousand miles away from everything and everybody that I know. And it really, I, it was, a, it was a tough period. Like I remember being really depressed and um, just really sad and like, you know, missing my people. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as you are probably familiar around that time in North Carolina, like it, it's raining a lot. So just really dark. And it was just, I just was not in a good place um, at all. And I was like, okay, I need, I need something. I need some kind of practice, some kind of self-care, something like I need something that because I'm I'm really over the course of my life. I've been really good at that. Like if I can have if I can find something new to learn or find a book to read or some type of structure that I can create for myself that works really like I operate very well within that. And, and, and notice I said structure I create for myself. I don't like the, the <laughs> you know, when that structure is imposed by other people. But I was like kind of searching. I'm like, okay, I need a hobby. I need something. And I stumbled upon making candles. There's actually a, um, an org- a business here in North Carolina called Candle Science. And I don't remember. I think I might have found out about it from a Google search, but they have a candle making kit. Um, that I ordered, I think it was maybe like $60. I think they're more expensive now, but it was a candle making kit that I ordered from them. And I, I ordered the candle making kit. I still actually remember my first candle pouring candle making session. 
and my house, you know, smelling good in here. And I was like, I was like, oh, this is my thing. And so I started to share, you know, I started taking pictures of the candles and I was sharing them on social media and, and people were, started to ask me like, oh, can you make candles for, for this housewarming and this baby shower and this and that? And, and so that's when it dawned on me like, oh, I might have a little, you know, a little business. <laughs> I can maybe turn this into a business. And, and that, so that's how Solitude Sense came to be. It was never it was never intended to to really be like a business. It was more so like I need some type of hobby. I need to I need a way to take care of myself during this very like difficult and you know isolated time for me. And so that's kind of how that's kind of how that started. And and what I'll say, you know, uh, Solitude Sense turned five years old this year, and one of the lessons that I learned. Um, and that I'm still kind of, you know, coming to grips with, especially now that I've started my own, you know, my private mental health practice. It's like, well, how, how does solitude sense fit into this and kind of how can these two things, you know, work in concert with each other? One thing that I'll share, um, that, that people don't always consider, people don't always talk about is, you know, the, the things that, the, the practices that bring you joy are not always intended to be monetized. So sometimes there are things that are literally just for you, things that, you know, fill your spirit, things that are just energizing for you. And that's all they need to be. And so sometimes, you know, for like sometimes when there are, um, you know, sometimes when they're, you know, when you try to to turn it into something that that it wasn't even intended to be, or something that you um, that it wasn't when you first started doing it, that can just kind of take away. That can uh, then you start to associate it with something else. So for me, what I found, um, and I and I and I still kind of struggle with this a bit. For me, I found. Well, this thing was so, I mean, I literally, I was telling, um, my, uh, my one friend, my first, the first friend I made when I moved here, I was telling him, I was like, yeah, it's a whole vibe when I'm making candles. Like I got my little apron, I got my playlist, you know, I put my phone, all my devices on do not disturb. I'm literally dancing in my kitchen, house smelling good. Like it's just a whole vibe. And, and I found that at different points, it, it sometimes, and it, it, it fluctuates, but sometimes it's like, oh, I need to pump these candles out because I got to make this money or I got to reach these sales quotas. And, and that is very different from, from what I want making candles to be for myself. I never want it to be like this, like, you know, where I'm putting this pressure on myself because then, then it's, then it's a job, then it's work, you know, then it's not about joy and me taking care of myself. And so, um, I'm still working to like kind of figure out, well, how can I create a balance, you know, with these two things? Because it can be both. It can be, you know, this thing still brings me joy and it's energizing for me. And it can be like, OK, I still want to like sell candles because people love my candles. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'll say in terms of, uh, you know, making making the candles. And as far as me starting my practice. Um, that is something I kind of see these two things being connected. So you have solitude sense. Um, the mantra for solitude sense is reconnect with you. 
you know, all about going back to what I was saying before about me being very passionate about my relationship with myself and wanting to help other people know themselves and to improve their relationships with themselves and improve their, you know, their self-awareness and reconnect with you, PLLC. That's, that's the name of my practice. And so I really see these two things working together because they're both, you know, when I think about my vision for both of them and even, you know, the focus is for both, it's all about self-care and self-love and self-awareness, you know, self-intentionality, all of those things. And, and so I think these two things um, work together very well. I have not yet figured out, you know, how can these two things really come together um, and, and kind of be married, so to speak. And so right now I'm, I'm really focused on, I think focused a bit more on my practice, um, you know, where I am, you know, I offer the individual therapy, the sound healing, you know, the, the public speaking that, that we talked about, um, my, you know, my, my TEDx talk, that's not the last that y'all gonna hear, <laughs> y'all gonna hear from me. So, you know, be, be on the lookout. Um, but yeah, just kind of work, really working to, to build my practice more. And it's beautiful because I, you know, one of the things that I share with you is that, it's like, these are, these are my babies. You know, this is, it's like, I created this. I can literally do what I want to do with this. I can make it look like, you know, however I want it to look. And I don't have, you know, somebody over me telling me, well, you can only make this much money or you have to do the work in this way. And, you know, you have to meet these, you know, these numbers and things like that. Some, a lot of times those things can be restrictive and, and can stifle your creativity but I feel so liberated that I have something that is mine, something that nobody can take away from me. Um, something that, like I said, will be a part of the legacy that I leave behind. Um, and I feel a lot of liberation in that. And, you know, just the fact that I can be my authentic self with both of these endeavors and all, all the way down, like I was telling you the other day, all the way down to what I wear and, and how I look, how I present myself, how I talk. And the language that I use, like, I feel like when I was just talking to you this whole to however long we've been talking, um, you know, for me, it's been, for me, it's been, um, you know, it's, it's like, this is me. This is my authentic self. Like, this is what you get. Anybody that knows me that's watching this, they probably like, yeah, that's, that's LA. That's who she is, you know? If I was talking to my my brother, uh, one of my my oldest brother, who I'm very close to, or even, you know, people who know me from back home, it's like, yeah, that's L.A., that's her, you know. So, um, and I think that's beautiful that I'm kind of walking in that. This is me, and I don't care what you think about about me or how I should look or how I should dress. It's like this is me. Take it or leave it. You know, but but I, I think that authenticity um, is is so is just so important to me. So that's uh, yeah, that's what I'll say about about just the whole entrepreneurial thing. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's not it's not. I don't think it's for everybody. I'll say um, I I see a lot of people shaming people for wanting to work nine to five jobs, and I'm being an entrepreneur is not for everybody. It, it it's it is hard. It takes a lot of work. The difference, though, is that like I'm I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really stretch myself and I'm going to go. I'll go, you know, to the four ends of the earth for for something that I created, something that has my name attached to it, something, you know, 
that I like have full control over and can kind of move how I want to move with it. So, so that's what I'll say. It definitely, you know, and it teaches you so much about yourself and it, and it, it's an extension, I think, of kind of what I was talking about in, th- in ther- with therapy, being a, being a clinician, like looking into the mirror. It really, uh, really helps you to learn more about yourself and about, you know, where you need to go and things that you might need to focus on and improve. So that's what I'll say about, about being an entrepreneur. All right. Well, thank you for visiting with us today, L.A. Any transitional thoughts, words of encouragement? things that's coming up on the horizon? Yes. So I actually, as, as I mentioned, um, I am, I'm building, working on building my practice. And so reconnect with you, PLLC, uh, the website is, uh, and you, and you might include this, um, anyway, but it's www.reconnectwithyou.org. So all of the, I'm currently accepting new clients and all of the services that uh, that we offer are listed on the website. So individual therapy, uh, sound healing, um, and sound therapy, which I, I can do individual sessions. I can do group sessions as well. Also the forensic uh, social work or uh, serving as an expert uh, consultant or kind of expert witness. I, I'm also trained as a mindfulness meditation teacher and so offer some uh, some mindfulness and meditation workshops as well. Um, and so those are, and then the public speaking, you know, if anyone, if you need a speaker to do, um, and not even just like a, you know, a TEDx type of thing, but if you are looking for a motivational speaker or a storyteller, as some people might call them, I, I'm the, per, I'm your person. Uh, so, so those are just some of the, some of the, uh, services that are offered by reconnect with you. And so really looking to continue to build, up my practice and so those are that's I guess I wanted to mention that first the other thing is that I am planning a um, an outdoor fall sound bath which I am very very excited about I've been doing uh, hosting the workshops virtually but it's really powerful I think it's powerful either way but when you can be in person with the bowls and really feel feel the vibrations you know in your body um, and just be able to share space with other people in person, um, it's just really impactful. So I will, uh, I'll make sure that I share the information with you. It, it'll be held uh, next month in October. So, um, so yeah, I'll make sure that I that I, uh, I'll make sure that I share that information with you once it's available. The the I guess the other I, I feel like I've said so much. <laughs> already today uh but i i will kind of close and just you know just say thank you thank you for having me thank you for being here whoever's listening and i'm sending you sunshine i um sunshine i i have a you know i have a really um i think a, a connection with the sun and i always anybody that knows me i'm that like that's on my voicemail and i always send people sunshine because there is there's enough uh, negativity and, and hate in this world that we live in and so every chance I get I try to send people sunshine and when there is not sunshine or when you experience sunshine uh, my, my dad actually told me this a while ago bottle some sunshine up you know for a rainy day for a day you know when when you might be struggling when when things aren't going the way that you want them to 
and, and you got some sunshine kind of saved up, you know. And so just really try to experience joy and hold on to that joy whenever you can. So, again, whoever's listening to this, I'm sending you sunshine. And uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for doing whatever it is that you needed to do to kind of be present and, and be able to sit here and, and listen. Um, it means a lot to me to be able to share my story and parts of my journey in the way that I have. So thank you. I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. And that's another episode of More Than Therapy. Be well, be great.